Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I haven't seen Aaron play this. I mean, he's, I mean, I, I shouldn't say that. We've seen him play this well for a long, long time, but he's playing at such a friggin' high level right now. And um, he, he don't, he don't miss, you know, and, the shots down the field, the, the dimes he's dropping, and uh, the receivers are making plays, and 17's all world right now. All those guys. I mean, it's going to be a huge challenge for us and uh, to slow this group down. We're going to have to play really, really, really well. He's just masterful at it. He's Picasso. He's whoever. He's Michelangelo of the foot of the quarterback play. I mean, this guy moved the game. COVID. I I don't even want to go up there. Jesus. Steve, I love a good friggin'. I have come to really appreciate that word when people drop. I mean, you don't get a lot of those in life. The friggins. They're good. Love a friggin'. Chuck Pagano, Bears defensive coordinator, talking about Aaron Rodgers. And uh, he's Picasso. And tomorrow night, the Green Bay Picasso will be going through his navy blue period. His navy blue and orange period, I suspect. So let's see what might be in store by talking to somebody who is familiar with the Packers, covered them for a lot of years. His name is Tyler Dunn. He joins us on the Alpamonte Ford Hotline, Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park. And he is branched out and writing the Go Long TD blog. And Tyler joins us. Thanks for coming on today, Tyler. I appreciate it. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's been, uh, it's been too long. It's been a couple of years. It's great to reconnect. Yes, it is. So, out of the last, I, the Bears are, this is it. Sit down, Bears fans, and be ready to throw up in your <laughs> mouth. They're one and six on Sunday nights against the Packers. What? And, and most notable, if you hate Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, or if you really hate Ryan Pace, you can get, Aaron Rodgers can get them fired tomorrow night. Because in 2014, that's pretty much Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense got Phil Emery and Mark Tressman fired. Tressman almost got fired at halftime, it seems, when it was 42 to nothing. And that was that's the kind of stuff that sticks. Compare that, Aaron Rodgers, to the one we're watching now, Tyler Dunn. A lot's changed, I guess, in, in six years for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. I mean, yeah, they were unstoppable then. I think it was the MVP then. They were within one collapse in Seattle the Super Bowl then and then the wheels started coming off piece by piece uh, between him and, and Mike, Mike McCarthy I mean the offense just fell apart so I you know I think it's back 
I, I think he's reinvigorated. I think Matt LaFleur's system has reinvigorated him. I think everything around him, so many young players, it's a completely different offense, a completely different team, and I would be worried if I'm the Bears. I mean, it's, I, yeah, it was a brutal loss for the Packers against Indianapolis, but for all the complaining and whining and worries about, oh, my God, there's no talent around Aaron Rodgers. How could they draft a quarterback? I mean, give me a break. He's got a top three receiver. He's got a top five running back. He's got the best left tackle in football. He's got a lot of really good young weapons. I I, I think they're in a really good spot offensively. So uh, it, it's back, and I don't think – I don't think he's an MVP frontrunner by any means, but um, it's uh, it's going to be tough for the Bears to slow this guy down. Tyler, I'm glad you said that about everybody whining about the Packers <laughs> drafting Jordan Love and not grabbing a receiver. Even There were even indications from from Rodgers himself that he wasn't particularly pleased about that, and who, and who would be. I mean, he's ultimately there right, to replace right. Aaron Rodgers. Right, yeah. right? but, but here, here's what I said then, and I say it now. Aaron Rodgers is an elite quarterback. Elite quarterbacks, by definition, make everybody else around them better. They make wide receivers good. They take somebody that maybe is, say, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Scantling is starting to look like a really good receiver in the NFL at times. That's what that's what Tom Brady has done throughout his career. That's what Aaron Rodgers has done throughout his career. They're the ones that make receivers great, not the other way around. Maybe Devontae Adams is the exception. He might be great anywhere. But he, he is the maker of good receivers and good weapons, is he not? He is, definitely. And I think uh, there's even like another layer to to that. You know, when Aaron Rodgers was at his best with Mike McCarthy, it, it wasn't because of Mike McCarthy. I mean, he was really freelancing. It was the extended play. It was the off-platform stuff, the off-scheduled stuff. When, I mean, Bears fans have seen it way too many times probably. It's, that was when he was at his best. I think when he's at his best now, it's, it's kind of within the confines of the scheme and, and the offense. And that was a big concern, right? I mean, a couple of years ago, uh, when we did the story on the breakup between him and Mike McCarthy, I thought Greg Jennings kind of put it best, like, you know, this doesn't have to end poorly. I mean, this, his career can be rejuvenated. He can turn this around if he's open to it, if he's willing to maybe swallow his pride and his ego a bit and play within the offense. And for the most part, it seems like he has. And, and I think that this is an offense that is quarterback friendly. It's going to scheme things up. It's going to rely on a really good ground game, which they have. Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, we haven't even seen A.J. Dillon yet. He's a beast. So um, I, I think it's, so that's another layer to it. But, yeah, he, he does make receivers better, but it seems like he's been open to playing within an offense when he wasn't before, um, at least not fully, under Mike McCarthy. We're talking with Tyler Dunn. He has spent years covering the Packers. He is now spending his time writing – the Go Long TD blog. Check it out at golongtd.com. And Tyler is talking Bears-Packers with us. Here's something. See, the Bears' defense is really good until the offense just kills it and wears it out. The Bears' defense is really good, and yet there's something so troubling that came out of the Bears' last game, which was Kirk Cousins, who sucks on national TV, going 10 of 11 on third down for 149 yards and two TDs. And it's really scary if, because you, you say if Kirk Cousins can do that and he sucks on national TV, then what is Aaron Rodgers going to do? And is there a kind of defense you've seen this year? Because he didn't do anything in the second half last week against Indy. 
what is it that and he fumbled? He returned the ball over. So what is it that that Indy changed the what, teams that have been successful, defenses that have been successful against him? What have they done so we can imagine the Bears doing it to at least keep this game from becoming a forty-two to nothing thing at half, the way that twenty fourteen game did? That's a great question. I, I mean, I, I guess this would be the case against all elite quarterbacks, but to pressure without blitzing, and if there's times where Aaron Rodgers has struggled, I mean, big time against Todd Bowles and the Buccaneers this year, I mean, they were able to just generate a ton of pressure without needing to send extra players because, of, hey, if you're going to blitz somebody, he's going to know exactly where that blitz is, and they're going to react to it. They're in a place offensively where those young receivers are able to, to, to think the way Aaron Rodgers is thinking. So I think that's key. And, you know, in, in the past, just thinking back, there were, there were times when defenses – um, could sit back even, you know, with, with a couple safeties deep and just force him to work the length of the field. Um, gosh, I think you, know, you mentioned the Vikings against Russell Wilson earlier this year. As young as they are and as bad as they've been on defense, that's kind of what Mike Zinner did against Russell Wilson, and it worked for 58 or 60 minutes. You know, he had to kind of just the, – the, the drives take longer. When they have 10 plays, 12 plays, 15 plays, something can go wrong, something can go bad. And you're not having those 52-point blowouts like you mentioned against uh, Mark Trustman's team. So I think that's key is it maybe sit back, make him work for it. The problem there is with Matt LaFleur and that running scheme they have, they're just going to say, okay, I guess we'll just run. And, and Aaron Jones is a heck of a back. So I, I think it's almost pick your poison. But if I was the Bears, I might kind of gravitate toward that. As far as the Packers' defense is concerned, you know the one thing that we keep circling is that they do allow, on average, 114 yards per game rushing. How much has that actually affected Green Bay for those of us who don't watch every single moment of Packers football? <laughs> yeah, it's it's been it's kind of strange because I think like personnel-wise, they've they've added some just some some attitude. You know, they they it's just what sort of a criticisms of the teams that Ted Thompson's drafted, they never really took a chance on that kind of temperament and that kind of just dude out there that's going to want to rip you to shreds. And I think that kind of hurt them. They get in the playoffs and it's kind of a soft team at key moments. And they, they haven't drafted that kind of player. They've got some guys on defense that do scare you, some playmakers, yet I guess it's not too scary for giving up, you know, 120, 130 yards on the ground. I don't know what the issue is. I think uh, they've never really been able to just find those linebackers that can go sideline to sideline and stuff the run. That's a tough player to find. Uh, they've had some injuries. Overall, though, they're just going to be a defense that is going to have to rely on, you know, forcing turnovers, creating pressures of Darius Smith. Now, Preston Smith has kind of struggled this year, but it looks like he's picked it up of late. Uh, Jair Alexander, he can take away a wide receiver, so that's a good thing. I, overall, I, I still think this is a defense that can win in the playoffs. We, we've seen good teams, Super Bowl teams, get gashed on the ground, and, and we could have that debate all day on just the importance of running the ball and stopping the uh-huh. run. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that's why I was asking you, because it's like it's like it ha- like I'm looking at that I, from a Bears perspective. I want that to matter, but it's not like the Packers <laughs> yeah, allowing right. 114 rushing yards per game has really affected them that much, has it? No, you're right. You're right. I think it I don't I mean, I don't care. Right. You don't want to give up that many yards on the ground, but right. I don't know if they care as much as we might think, you know, just the way the NFL's uh-huh. set up, it's you got to win a shootout. I think they're okay trying to win a shootout. Yep. 
We're talking with Tyler Dunn. He writes the Go Long TD blog. Go check that out. A lot of football knowledge inside there. So, so the we, we obviously know the difference between Hall of Fame quarterbacking in Green Bay and garbage in Chicago. Uh, there are a lot of times where we see the Hall of Fame tight ends, or at least quality tight ends, made better because of the Hall of Fame quarterbacks up there. And here's the thing. Jimmy Graham is not any faster than he was last year when he sucked for the Packers, and he still has never met a block he didn't want to whiff on. But he has been a red zone. He scored, he's already ahead of last year's touchdown. So I don't know if that makes a difference in tomorrow's game. I don't know if Jimmy, what, whatever your take on Jimmy is leaving there that way, why it didn't get done, why at least it's been more productive than a lot of us thought in Chicago. So the, that, that tight end, why didn't it work up there with a, with that quarterback? It is strange that he's way more productive in Chicago with all the issues in Chicago than Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. But it, you know, just thinking of the tight end position in Green Bay, big picture, since Jermichael Finley had that career-ending neck injury, and thinking back, what was it, 2013, I think it was? Since then, they really haven't been able to just find a stud there. Um, and I don't even know if it's the tight end's fault. I don't know if it's a position that – you know, Aaron Rodgers isn't going to mentally go to again and again and again. But, you know, Martellus Bennett, he, he didn't work out. Jimmy Graham didn't work out. Lo and behold, like, maybe they found their answer in, in Bob Tunyon and Jace Sternberger. Um, they've kind of got a collection of guys at the position now. And I just think it's, it might be more of a product of the, the quarterback and his, his process at the line of scrimmage and who he's looking to, when he's looking to that player. And in Chicago, Jimmy Graham is just going to get targeted more. You're right. I, I think at that, at that price, I, I mean, they gave him a lot, and that's probably about as much as I could have expected out of Jimmy Graham. You're not, you're not expecting him to block. You're not expecting him to get any separation. He's catching some touchdowns, and, gosh, there's probably bigger, bigger problems in Chicago. So, hey, that, that's a good thing that worked out for the Bears and their front office. You think the Packers are better this year than they were last year? I think so. You know, I – I know they've had some down moments, but this is still a team that is trying something that you don't see in, in the NFL. And, you know, we were talking about that criticism that that um, Gutekinson and Matt LaFleur got back in the draft and how, how could you not draft a weapon. But this is the one team in the NFL, I think, that is willing to try to build two teams within one. They, they're trying to win now and win in the future because the worst time to look for a quarterback is when you don't have a quarterback. I don't know if Jordan Love's good. I don't think anybody really knows if he's good, but they do. I mean, they're, they're going to develop him. They're going to invest the time in him, and it worked before in 05. I mean, they were they were a contender then. They were, they were a 10-6 and 6 team that was loaded on offense. Ted Thompson took over, and they drafted a quarterback anyways. So for all of the, uh, the madness and the anger and the frustration over not surrounding him with weapons, I think in the long run, um, this is a, a way to build a team that, maybe more teams should, should kind of emulate. Because how often do you get into March or even into the draft and teams all of a sudden that they're reaching for a quarterback or they're reaching for a free agent signing and they're scrambling at the most important position. you got to have a plan, and they've got a plan. So I think it's definitely a better team. 
Can you can you let the Bears know that that you got to have a plan because I think that's been their problem <laughs> all along. Tyler, we appreciate your time and good luck on the Go Long TD blog. Good luck with that. Quality stuff. Hey, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks, that's man. Ty- it's Tyler Dunn. Uh, I'm Steve Rosenblum. He's Mark Grody. And um, now I think that we have time. Mark, I want to do what Mark heard. I did not want to jam it in last hour when we didn't have as much time. Now we got room to have you explain what Mark heard. I think we should do that after this break. What do you think, Mark? I have five key cuts that I heard, and I think you will think are very interesting. That's what we're going to do then. I'm Steve Rosenblum. He's Mark Grody. Saturday Suckage. Coming up next, what Mark heard. Dang it. We've been waiting for this. Chicago yeah, Sports man. Radio, 670 the score. We don't have turds on this team. It's time for What Mark Heard, a rundown of the best sound coming out of Hallis Hall this week on Saturday Suckage with Mark Brody and Steve Rosenblum. Boy, everyone is stupid except me. Ain't it the truth? Welcome in, welcome back. Saturday Suckage. As mentioned, and what Mark heard is the name of the segment, our intrepid Bears reporter. He covers the Bears during the week for the score and the sidelines on game night, game day for WBBM 780 AM 105.9 FM. So he brings us what Mark heard, insightful, interesting stuff during acquired uh, during the week. And all piled up and brought to you right here. Mark, what did Mark hear? I was surprised to hear what I heard from Mitchell Trubisky in that he was surprised that he was ultimately benched. Let's listen to Mitch. More than anything, I was caught off guard. Um, I think in the beginning of the season, I was just starting to build some momentum. Um, And then it, it kind of felt like a blindside and... Um, then I decided to embrace a new role in the first couple of days. It, it sucked being in that role, but, um, I, I was trying to just continue to keep perspective and think long-term and, um, uh, I want to, I want to play in this league a long time. And if I want to do that, there's things I just need to continue to get better at. And, uh, and at that point I just changed my mindset to embrace practice. Um, I was doing my job in the scout team, just trying to give a defense a good look, taking a lot of pride into that and preparing them for the weeks. And. Defense has been playing really, really well, and uh, I felt like I was a part of that being on scout team and, and just leading those guys on the scout team and giving them good looks. Um, and, and I did feel during those weeks I, I got better as a player, just testing different throws, leading the offense, and, and and seeing a lot of good looks from our defense and going against them. Blindsided and caught, caught off guard. Those are the key parts to that. That mm-hmm. took me a little bit off guard. And I say that because there was a quarterback competition at the beginning of this year. The first two years, Trubisky admitted he underperformed. He won a quarterback competition by a hair, by a nose, and then had a two-hour conversation with Matt Nagy before the season started about, here's what you got to do to keep the gig. And he didn't look great in those first three games. So that he felt blindsided, I thought was dramatic and surprising considering when there is a quarterback competition and there is somebody behind you whom the Bears spent a lot of money on, I don't see how one could have been blindsided by that. Do you think he's naive or stupid or where does that come from? He was down 26 to 10 when he got yanked and stayed yanked. 
I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it comes from confidence. Maybe it was his own ego mm. that, you know, thought, you know, look, I'm I'm the guy. I'm the starting quarterback. Nick Foles is my backup. And that's the way it's always been for Mitch, too. I mean, he always had that safety net of Chase Daniel in the past, and maybe he thought that was the same deal with Nick Foles, that it would have to get really, really bad before, or an injury would have to occur before we would see Chase Daniel in the past or Nick Foles right now. So, yeah, I... I, I Appreciated the honesty. I was just surprised by it. I thought it was equally revealing, as you were saying, as you led us into it, equally revealing when Mitch Trubisky said, when he talked about being on the scout team, kind of felt outside. He wasn't the guy everything was being catered to. Yes. And he's sort of used to that, so he's had to find his own way. And he talked about trying different throws and different things like that. It's like he didn't – why – why did it take that? Why wasn't he trying this before? But I think that was kind of revealing that he, the the security blanket, the net that he had, was suddenly everything was gone. Yeah, and absolutely, that that was another very honest moment that he is not the guy who everybody's going to pamper and make mm-hmm. room for anymore. And maybe that maybe that helped him. I do like the fact that he was talking about making throws that he hadn't before. And that's why when we were talking to Emma before, what I'm looking forward to is Mitchell Trubisky imposing his will a little bit more, knowing what's at stake for him in the final six games. It's his career, you know? So maybe he maybe he does run when in the past he wouldn't. Maybe he does throw downfield when in the past he wouldn't. I want to mm-hmm. see Trubisky take some more chances, impose his will a little bit more. Listen to your coaches, but maybe be your own man a little bit and really just kind of say, bleep you, this is what I'm going to do here. So, so that's Trubisky on that. The next one, um, you will hear the question in this, so I don't even need to give context. Here's more from Trubisky. Have you been able to, to figure out uh, Bears fans or maybe just fans in general because there was a time maybe when people wanted you replaced as quarterback and now, I, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but people have been calling for you over the last three weeks and they're ecstatic that you're back. What do you think when you hear that? I, I, try, I, I haven't been paying attention to it and I really focus on trying not to pay attention to it. So I've been here for four years um uh, i'm still trying to figure it out so but i got nothing uh but love in my heart for the fans of the city of chicago and um i think if 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 on offense defense and special teams if we can match the fans passion for this team then i think that's how you go out there and play with a lot of will and passion and put a good product on on the field that you're proud of because that's what we want we want the fans to be proud and that's all i'm trying to do play football um this weekend with a great great opportunity Game one in 2019, last year coming off the 12-4 and four season, the 100th year anniversary game against the Packers, the Bears and Mitchell Trubisky were booed loudly. I'm sure there would have been many occasions this year where the Bears would have been booed loudly <laughs> as well. And, you know, Trubisky has endured, and it, it is crazy because I get it. Like, every when Nick Foles took over. Everybody wanted Foles. When Foles started to fail, you had people naturally calling for Trubisky. It could have been anybody. Could Whomever the backup was, people would have been calling for. But I do think that there is some sentimental value when it comes to Trubisky because he is one of their own. It's, it's that tough love. He is a draft pick of the Bears, so he has Bears in his blood. So there's always been a popularity that Trubisky has had. Even He's got tons of detractors, which I get. But there's always been a popularity that he has had in people. It's true. People do. Fans do. I think a lot of members of the media do. They want to see him succeed. And obviously, you know, the team that drafted him wants to see him succeed as well. 
I just want to see anybody succeed at that position. And, yeah. And, and lead the, I just, it, it's it's remarkable, and especially in this game, this opponent tomorrow night highlights the complete ineptitude, and really, uh, you have to include ownership in this too because it was, it's it's they have have zero institutional knowledge of the league. And they're going out and hiring somebody with a woodland creature on his head to go find a GM and a coach, and they find quarterbacks, and then nobody's there, and it's just, it's, it is such a a mess, and it never gets highlighted more, underscored more, underscored more, a a than when when there's a game against Green Bay, and and here comes. Aaron Rodgers after a career of Brett Favre. So we'll we'll move along. We'll move along. Right. And now they're they're threatening us with Jordan Love in the future, too. So (laughs) let's keep keep him down. Let's keep him down for a few years. So then the Packers have to make a choice on whether keeping him or getting rid of him, like the the Patriots would always do with their backup quarterbacks. But anyway... All right, man. I want you to hear now from Anthony Miller, because this was a pretty oh. honest, bold statement that he made. And the context is is that issues on offense this year have hurt individual player production. Here's Miller. I feel like there's been a lot of, uh, you know, underlying issues within our offense uh, that hasn't allowed everybody to, you know, blossom as they would want to, would want to. But... Um, you know, we're just going to keep working uh, as a unit, and uh, hopefully you see some improvements. Got to play the part of uh, the good soldier if you were on this offense. I mean, I don't know that th- – here's the thing, man. I don't know that this offense is catered to any individual, like, because they're so confused with the identity at times. Miller this year, you know, 34 catches, 349 yards. He's been targeted 57 times, um, which is – tied for third on the team with Jimmy Graham, actually. The targets have gone Allen Robinson, number one, with 95 targets. And then you have, actually, Anthony Miller and Jimmy Graham, second with 57 apiece. And then Darnell Mooney is now dropped to third with 56 targets. But it's just because of the chaos of the offense and the banged-up offensive line, it is, again, struggling to find identity. I guess the identity still is, more than anything, Steve, is probably Allen Robinson, just because he's putting up his usual numbers, although it hasn't always been pretty. Although he's not getting into the end zone, Robinson, only three touchdowns. No, his agent made that pretty clear um, when there were red zone opportunities against the Vikings. His agent tweeted out that pretty clearly about how do you not look for this guy? How do you not throw this guy? How do you not let him win leverage and jump balls and things like that? But the, here's the thing about Anthony Miller. I'm I, glad you brought that to the airwaves. I hadn't mm-hmm. heard that. And that was that, that there's good reporting, Dickie Dunn. I, I, I think he has to understand he's one of the problems. His inability to stick to details, as his coaching staff has said, his inability to run the precise routes they want, to go where they want, to be in the spot that they want, so that the offense can function better, he's one of those guys. I, maybe, in his, maybe he knows that. It just wasn't, he just wasn't given the opportunity to say it. But he's one of the reasons the op- offense hasn't been as good as it could be. The problem with Anthony Miller since he got here, and he had a decent rookie season. He led the team yeah, in touchdown yep. catches that year. Right. And and but but even in 2018, there were just times and games 
where he went away. Like where you just didn't see him, where he just wasn't a part of things. And I don't know if that's because he was running the wrong routes or his head wasn't in the game. I mean, it sounds like it from everything that we can infer from what coaches are saying, right? And it's still like every single year of Anthony Miller's career, there are these flashes where like, okay, I get it. I see why they moved up in the second round to get him. And he is a terrific, terrific athlete. I mean, he's probably one of the best athletes pound for pound on the team. But it's that word consistency where he goes away and you're like, where is that guy? Whatever happened to Anthony Miller? And then some games he wins the game for you. So that's the story. All right. So what? Next, what Mark yes, Hurd next. Okay, next we got, is? I got two more for you, man. Let's right. let's do a let's slide in a defensive one before we finish with an offensive one. Okay. Robert Quinn, big money man on Ooh. defense, has not made his presence felt, so to speak. Robert mm-hmm. Quinn asked to evaluate himself this year. Robert, how would you uh, how would you characterize and evaluate your season? My season. Uh, I'll be honest, it's been a uh, very average, not to, not up to my standards, but, uh, you know, I, we got six more games left, you know, anything can happen. Uh, I know how I prepare, I know how I train, um, statistically it just hasn't been my season, but, you know, effort, uh, charisma, all that stuff's been there. It's just, you know, that I guess quote unquote, getting the numbers that we're all looking for, you know, just hasn't been one of my best years, but, you know, we, we still got a chance and we're still a great defense, even though, you know, my performance, we're still holding together as a great defense. So it's not all just about me. Yeah, he has Quinn this year, one sack, and that was the first snap in which he played after missing the first game with an injury. Six solo tackles so far this year. He has had a couple of forced fumbles, two forced fumbles so far this year, so that has been good. It's been a strange season for for Robert Quinn, and, you know, there was some some off-the-field things that he was dealing with, which we don't, we're not privy to, but that's what we were told in training camp. Then he had the injury, and then the ramp-up period, and maybe his lack of familiarity or thriving in a 3-4 defensive scheme so it's hard to figure out what exactly has been going on and I I asked him a question at the end of the press conference too on how much like normalcy there has been in the building you know it it, is it does it feel routine yet because of all that has gone on with with COVID and he said that it's bizarre and it's been hard for him Uh, he didn't use that as an excuse it was just him answering my question but I did wonder too how hard it's made for him to feel part of things when everything is so wacky out at Hallis Hall. But it's it, plain and simple, he has not been an upgrade from Leonard Floyd yet. Leonard Floyd is pantsing him in numbers, which speaks to him and the Bears coaching staff. What the Rams are getting out of Leonard Floyd is, is pretty remarkable as far as those raw numbers are concerned. When Robert Quinn says very average, he's lying. He's worse than that. Um, I did he at any point talk about how he's going to stop sucking and become the guy that they're paying all that money to? I don't think anybody actually asked him that question, Robert. When are you going to stop sucking? So I <laughs> maybe I'm not as good of a reporter as you think I am. So that, <laughs> no, I just wondered if maybe he opined it. You were able to conclude that from something he said. Well, he does have six games to go, and he yeah. at least he at least he's not. You know, there are some guys who, when they get later in their career, they are just in it to get paid. I don't get that from Robert Quinn. Like, I don't feel that from him. Yeah. I think he is genuinely frustrated, and I think he he wants to prove that he is what he always has been in his career. So he's got six games to, to do it, and believe it or not, believe it or not, 
I, and I wonder if Bears fans would agree with this, I'd still rather have Robert Quinn than Leonard Floyd. And Floyd is having a good season. There is no doubt about it. But we've seen nothing to suggest that Leonard Floyd's consistency um, will continue. Because he's had he's had, spas- he had spasms of goodness with the Bears as well, especially when his rookie year. Didn't he have nine, yeah. ten sacks? Yeah, he's got seven like sacks now. Robert Quinn has one. Why do you suck? Yeah. Yeah, no, there's no money. doubt. Like that's a fair comparison, but I'd still have ro- rather have Robert Quinn than uh, Leonard Floyd because I saw Leonard Floyd. Um, when, we, all right. when we talked yeah. to Tyler Dunn a moment ago, I mean, this is a, I, I had under, underlined my um, my Robert Quinn point. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, mm-hmm. The Tyler Dunn said that what bothers Aaron Rodgers, like all elite quarterbacks, if you can get pressure with a four man rush, then you have maximum number dropping. And you're going to be able to, you're going to be able to keep them to shorter. You're not going to get beat deep. You're you're going to be able to beat that kind of quarterback. That's the way it's worked with Rodgers. They can't do that if Robert Quinn sucks. He's got to be that guy. That tomorrow night has to be the game if they're going to be able to do that and contain Aaron Rodgers. If they're able to get a four-man rush, they've got maximum chance of that defense holding down the maybe the MVP long enough for the offense to, or maybe even the defense scores. Maybe they win 14-13. The defense has a touchdown and Cordero Patterson has another touchdown. And they just need the offense not to turn the ball over. What I'd like to see is Chuck Pagano dial up one of those classic Roquan Smith linebacker blitzes like they did back in 2018. Of course, that wasn't Chuck Pagano. That was Vic Fangio. But I think it's time, man. Roquan's been your best player. Uh, free him from his spot and uh, have him at, le- at least one time in this game. I would like to to see that some creative, schemed blitzing for the team as opposed to just the pressure that you were discussing. Um, all right, last one, one man. Let's let's go back to the offense and the offensive coordinator and the play caller. He is Bill Lazor, and the question was asked of him. All right. You've never called plays for Mitchell Trubisky. Trubisky hasn't played since, you know, the first half of week three against Atlanta. How's this all going to jive? Here's Laser. You'd probably be surprised at how little in the calls has changed. Uh, some of what happened early in the year was unique to Mitch and his abilities, and some of what happened early in the year was part of strategically how we game-planned. Uh, so I think I think we we have the kind of offense that can make changes like that if, when necessary. I think we've shown that throughout the year as far as how much we run, how much we pass, how much we are in the shotgun, how much we're under center, how much we move the pocket, how much we throw quick, try to throw deep. You know, th- those changes can be made pretty seamlessly in my mind. He didn't say a whole lot there. I get it, but it just brings up the conversation maybe that we were having earlier, Steve, that Bill Lazor's got to have something up his sleeve. He had to have, while watching Matt Nagy call plays, there has to be something up his sleeve that he was thinking about when Trubisky was in that maybe Matt Nagy wasn't thinking about or something that Matt Nagy wouldn't do that Bill Lazor will do. Well, we would like to see that. That would be interesting, something to talk about. I know we have to take a break, but when we come back, the, uh, there's a former Bear and former Packer who had something to say about that play caller and the idea of the head coach not calling plays and kind of created a bit of a, yeah, I don't know, maybe you think it's a little devious. We'll discuss that after this. I'm Steve Rosenblum. He's Mark Grody. This is Saturday Suckage, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. <laughs>
Welcome in, welcome back. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Rody with you. Saturday suckage. We suck so you don't have to, though the Bears offense seems incapable of being saved. Top of the hour, we'll talk with Josh Nelson of Socks Machine. The online blog has, they have the most valuable merch going. They just have a great idea. I want to talk to him about that and some additions to the coaching staff for the White Sox and what it means that the two-time DUI guy is still in charge and nobody's really talked about it. Court dates keep getting pushed back. But for now, Mark, something came out as, a, as the Bears offense with a new play caller uh, endured its another four-game losing streak, second consecutive year of that. Bill Lazor only had the one game this year in that. But another horrible offensive showing. They didn't score more than 20 points for the 16th time in the last 26 games. So there's been kind of a death spiral that it doesn't matter who calls plays. But it kind of does to Hunter Hillenmeyer. You remember the former Bear? He's also a former Packer. Sure. And he tweeted out, that's why Nagy handed over play calling as a passive-aggressive way to point finger at the GM's talent and at the general manager and the talent versus the play calling. And I never really thought of it that way. It didn't strike me as Negi doing anything that devious, but I could see how Hunter Hillenmeyer would think, yeah, look, I'm showing the world. I'm changing the play caller. And the talent's not good enough. The GM's not good enough. And that's the way he looked at that change. Did that strike you at all? Well, no, it, it had, I, and I don't, I don't think that that's true because Matt Nagy hated having to give up play calling and that was the last thing he wanted to do. And who knows, maybe somebody from the top actually told him he, he had to give up play calling, at least try it. But it does, it, you can, I, I get what Hunter Hillenmeyer is saying. Yeah, you put Bill Lazor in there. Lazor, you know, from Minnesota, if anything, it was worse than when Matt Nagy was calling plays. So I get what he's saying, but no. I Knowing Matt Nagy a little bit and being around him every day for, you know, at least during bear seasons for three years, he hated having to do that. And I I do believe that. Like, his life's blood is calling plays, and I, he's going to call plays again someday for the Bears, Matt Nagy. I promise you that. I, I tend to agree, but I thought it was uh, Hunter Hillemeyer – I, I could see how he arrived at that, how yes, he thought that, I get it. how he thought I that do, it was yeah, a passive-aggressive yeah. move. But one of the other things that makes your argument um, and makes the argument that it really wasn't a passive-aggressive move to point fingers at the talent the GM is that I think Matt Nagy, more than Ryan Pace, wears Nick Foles. The failure that is Nick Foles seems to fall... Do you think it... I, I believe it falls more on Matt Nagy and his coaching staff... Because everything was supposed to be wonderful if they had to resort to that, if they had to, to, to break glass in case of emergency, and they did. It was supposed to be, without all the excuses and without a four-game losing streak in games started by Nick Foles. And yet, it's been a disaster. He's been worse. I think Matt Nagy wears Nick Foles. Matt Nagy and his coaching staff wear Nick Foles more than Ryan Pace does as much as Ryan Pace wears Mitch Trubisky. I agree with that because that was the, this was Matt Nagy's guy. It seemed like, 
yep. Ace brought in Nick Foles because Matt Nagy was connected to him. So was his entire coaching staff. So was Jim DeFilippo. So was Bill Lazor. The, you know, Juan Castillo, these all these guys have all been connected to him at one time or other. So this was this was Ryan Pace's gift to the coaching staff, and it hasn't worked. He has simply not meshed. With, look, I don't think that Nick Foles is as bad as he has been with the Bears in four games, but because he is, I've never seen him look that flustered. I think that's a good word for the way Nick Foles has played mm-hmm. at the at the hint of pressure. And at pressure, he just comes undone like a rookie would um, and just doesn't know what he he has not been able to work with that offensive line at all. So it's been bad, but I don't think he's that bad. Well, we'll see if that if the, the ability to run and run away from the mistakes and shortcomings of that offensive line and that offense and whatever the, the receiving talent is, is helped by Mr. Trubisky, who, you know, is sort of running for his future, actually. And that can only be yeah. only be a good thing until he gets hurt, and then Tyler Bray is your quarterback, and then um, Kyle Slaughter, ba- and on and on and on. And then I guess it's basketball season. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna hey, they start practice on Tuesday. You know that. I know. Right? I, I, Tuesday. Yeah, may not yeah. be able to. You know what? Halfway through Sunday night's game, Tuesday may not be able to come fast enough. That's all oh, I had to say. Is that really where we are? No. Yep. Yes, oh, it is. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk some White Sox. Patrick Williams with the dunk. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Let him just do what he wants. Okay. We'll take a break. Yeah. Saturday second, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. Okay. Let's do it. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade used with permission.